The place was called Corinth, and it was not a nice city. In fact, if you wanted to insult somebody, you'd say, stop acting like a Corinthian. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rodham. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible today. We start 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the church at Corinth. We're going to study that in about three minutes time. Corey and Ryan are here as well. Corey, what's going on? Well, I'm going to be taking a look at some of the history of the city of Corinth itself. Ryan? Well, today my segment is all about 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, in which Paul thinks that God has put the apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. But what exactly does Paul mean by that? Yeah, what does that mean? We're going to find that out. They're coming up in about 15 minutes' time. Janice, in about 20 minutes' time, what's going on? The cross of Christ. All right, so get your Bible guide out. Let's turn to our 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's learn what God says. First Corinthians 1, 1 through 10. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. First Corinthians 1, 2, and 3. You know, Corinthians is an amazing city the importance of the ancient city of Corinth might be reflected in the fact that Paul spent a year and a half there. Corinth was a, a key trade city that connected the east and the west of the Roman Empire. It was on the Isthmus of Corinth between the Ionian and the Aegean Seas. Now the Romans kept some of their naval fleet there to preserve their dominance in trade. It was a place where people who wanted to grow their commercial success came. And as with many trade cities, Corinth also had a dark side. There was a large industry of gambling, legalized prostitution. Now, with such a culture, it's no surprise that the believers in Corinth were troubled with all kinds of issues. Paul wrote two letters to them that 
preserved in the Bible as 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Due to these very human problems, most of what is discussed in these books will bring problems from today's world <laughs> into focus. In the end, we see Paul explaining that the church cannot compromise with sin. The Bible is very clear on this point. The Bible actually defines sin, S-I-N. Very, very interesting. Now, take your Bible guide and turn to it. It's really, really important as we focus on this. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible guide, I would simply ask why not. We're coming to the end of the year, and uh, you can start again. We're going to do it again. All new material. The Bible guides are new every month, and uh, we don't rehash anything, but we go through and we read different sections of the Bible as we go forward. Uh, through the three or four chapters that we read every day. So I would encourage you to get a hold of the Bible guide that we write every month, fresh for you, and it'll be sent to you every month. And you can get it by calling us or writing to us or going to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go there, you click on the Bible guide page and it will take you directly to the Bible guide and the place where you can download it. Now today, the city of Corinth, Father, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, help us to understand what you wrote through Paul. You influenced him. Your Holy Spirit helped him to communicate this to people. He knew he was writing to your people, and he knew the Holy Spirit had to empower him. And so he, he submitted to you. And Lord, I pray that we would hear you just like the ancient people heard you as well. And many people throughout time have listened to your word. Help us to translate it carefully and rightly today. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. Corinth is an amazing place, I'll tell you. It's, it's really, really something. We used to say in the, in the ancient times to insult somebody, you would say, stop acting like a Corinthian. That's how interesting and famous the city was. It had some dark sides too, let me tell you. First Corinthians, Paul writes to the church there. There's a church there. Paul founded it. A year and a half he was there. Paul writes to the church, and here's what he says. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God and Sothenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is fascinating. You see, the church of God at Corinth was a very important place. God is at the center of our business and commercial interest. Notice that, because he is in our heart. If we have a business, if we have a commercial interest, God is there because he's at the, God comes into our heart. So he tells us to be moral and how we treat people is critical. It's not the money that's all important, but it's the people. I'll get some letters on that, but it's true. It's the people. That's exactly what we're dealing with in the world today. So we need to keep that in mind. Corinth was a commercial city. God was there. His church was there in the midst of it. Fascinating. 
Let's go back. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 4 says this. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, the grace of God given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him and in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was in you so that you come short in no gift eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you understand what Paul is saying here? The Lord is faithful to enrich us in our businesses. If we dedicate that to his work in him, giving our life and our heart to follow the Lord is the best thing for our business. Good business. A lot of people say, well, I, I, I thought there's a difference between business and, and religion. Number one, it's not religion. And number two, there is no difference. How we do business is how God works in us. Now, I'm going to let you sit on that for a while. We'll come back to it later on, down two weeks down the line, when we talk about this again. But that's very interesting. This is the commercial center. All right, let's go forward. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, watch this now, verse 10. Here's what Paul says. Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul, do you know who you're talking to? Of course he does. The church must speak with the same conviction regarding the gospel message, Christ crucified. You see, the Bible is God's word about sin and righteousness. Now keep this in mind. He writes this to the church at Corinth and where there's all kinds of bribery and ripping people off and all this other stuff just to get ahead, to get money. Paul says to the church, I want you to come together. I want you to think the same way about the Bible. I want you to focus your attention on that. Many cultures coming together in Corinth. Now this must have been very hard. But they did it. And we need to do that today. In the midst of all of our pain, and some people are suffering for Christ very, very deeply, and others are just being hammered by the economy and all of that. But regardless of that, we need to come together and begin to understand that it is the Word of God, it is the Bible that teaches us how to follow God, not people or things. May we come into the Bible and learn. We must follow you, Lord. Father, help us today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there.
All right, so my segment today is centered around 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, where Paul is clearly using imagery to make his point. And he says, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. Now, the obvious question I wanted to investigate was just what imagery did Paul have in mind? Now, to answer that, we need to travel back to the first century AD when Rome ruled much of the world. So let's go. In the fourth chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, he gives these believers a much-needed lesson in humility. With tongue-in-cheek, he says, You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled we bless, being persecuted we endure, being defamed we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. While Paul certainly makes his point clear, what are we to make of the imagery he uses in verse 9? To what is Paul referring when he says that God has displayed the apostles last? men condemned to death as a spectacle to the world. The 19th century reverend James M. Freeman suggested that the apostle may have had in his mind the public exhibition of the bestiari and gladiators. The former were men who fought with beasts, and the latter men who fought with each other. Some thus fought for pay, while others were criminals who were compelled to contend with beasts or with armed men as an expiation of their crimes, and as a source of amusement to the spectators. In the early part of the day of such an exhibition, the prisoners were given arms wherewith to defend themselves, but at the close of the exhibition, at noon, the poor wretches had nothing to protect them, and soon fell easy and certain victims to the destroyer. Thus, in this sense, the apostles were set forth last. Another idea is that Paul was referring to Roman triumphal processions, in which their captors were paraded through the streets before being publicly executed. While there is no specific mention of a procession in the Greek text, this is certainly possible. Of course, it's also possible that both suggestions are true. In fact, judging by the translation of verse 9 in the New International Version of the Bible, these scholars subscribe to both views, for they render Paul's words in this way. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. Whatever be the case, Paul's important warning is loud and clear for both first-century Christians and 21st-century Christians. We as followers of Jesus Christ should be careful about our attitudes. Rather than being puffed up, we should be fools for Christ's sake. When we're cursed, we should bless. When we're persecuted, we should endure it. And when we're slandered, we should answer kindly. So it seems the imagery Paul had in mind in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 was either an arena battle or a Roman procession, or both. Whatever the case, Paul's message is crystal clear. And it's just as relevant a message for us today as it was for those first century Corinthian Christians. We as followers of Jesus Christ should be careful about our attitudes. 
Paul says that rather than being puffed up, we should be, quote, fools for Christ's sake. When we are cursed, we should bless. When we are persecuted, we should endure it. And when we are slandered, we should answer kindly. And Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 20 are similar to Paul's. He says, But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. We need to follow the example of Jesus and Paul and be servants. This is totally opposite of what we understand the world to say to us today. You know, we, we're on social media and everything else, and we get back at somebody who gets at us. This is totally backwards. And yet God said, this is the way my servants are. So, the, you know, this is the time when we read this in the New Testament and we see, oh, that's what that means. When we are being conditioned by social media and the internet to be the opposite, to go after people. We just really need to pay attention. So thank you, Ryan. That's very, very good. Corey? All right. As promised, today we are going to be looking at some of the history of the really interesting Roman city of Corinth. Take a look. The book of Acts lets us know that Paul stayed at the city of Corinth for a year and a half, despite the average one to two month stay he would have held to, to account for all the cities on his travel list. Paul also wrote at least three letters to the Christian church at Corinth, represented by 1st and 2nd Corinthians. When looking at ancient Corinth, it becomes easy to see why it would have been a good place for Paul to hunker down and teach. Corinth was made a Roman colony by Julius Caesar in 44 BC. The influx of imperial money and construction that brought with it ensured the city would prosper. Settlers were brought to Corinth to kickstart its new economy and political purpose, but due to most of them being freed slaves and from poorer segments of the empire's population, they drew criticism from the more elite Roman citizenry. Despite this criticism, Corinth quickly grew into a large, prosperous Roman colony and was made the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. Interestingly, in Acts 18, we're told that near the end of his time in Corinth, Paul was brought before the Roman governor Gallio. It's known that Lucius Junius Gallio arrived as proconsul in the summer of 51 AD, giving us a starting time of Paul's stay around the beginning of 50 AD. Corinth was so important to the Roman Empire because of its strategic location. It controlled land and sea trade routes. At Corinth, there was a three-mile stretch of land separating the Aegean and Adriatic Seas. A specialized road with wooden cars were built that could pull smaller ships across the land, or the cargo of larger ships, saving them a 200-mile sea journey around the peninsula. Corinth also housed a large temple to the god of healing. Sick pilgrims would travel from all around so they could go to the temple to bathe, dine, exercise, and stay, waiting for healing. In Paul's time, Corinth was also responsible for the great Isthmian Games, sporting competitions held every two years in honor of the sea god and by his shrine about 10 miles from the city. The massive arrival of athletes and spectators brought what they still do to this day, money and unfortunately, prostitution. At Corinth, Paul could preach to travelers, sailors, and merchants who could then spread the gospel far and wide. Thanks to the city's well-connected location, he could send missionaries and letters quickly. 
The Isthmian Games created a thriving market for Paul's tent-making profession to financially support himself, and it would have opened evangelistic opportunities to preach to the crowds. Corinth's bustling life gained it a reputation for outrageous immorality. Travelers and revelers grew the city's seedy underbelly and the population kept it going. Paul's emphasis on outstanding moral living reflects this. If Gentile Christianity could thrive here in the most immoral of places, then it could thrive anywhere. Definitely more can be said about the city of Corinth. It has such an interesting history and such an interesting Christian and biblical history as well. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be doing a segment on Phoebe. Now, uh, Paul mentions Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, and she is a prominent Christian, a servant or a deacon of the church uh, in the port, one of the port cities of Corinth, because Corinth had two uh, port cities that served it, one on either side, one one servicing either sea, and, and she comes from one of those, the one facing Ephesus. So more on Corinth is yet to come this year. Yeah, we're, we're learning a little bit about the geography of the ancient world yeah. in that setting. But the, that's we have to understand that that's the ancient world of 2,000 years ago. There was another ancient world before that. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's really fascinating how God has orchestrated all of Paul's trips to Macedonia and to the rest of it. Very good. Thank you, Corey. Mm -hmm. Janice. Well, I titled this one, The Cross of Christ. And I believe that the cross of Christ divides the human race. What do I mean by that? Well... Those who are perishing are the ones who believe it's foolishness, that the gospel of Christ is stupid. It's a myth. But to those who are being saved, believe and know that it is wisdom and power. Everyone must decide who Jesus Christ is. You are not saved because your parents go to church or you go to church. You become a born-again believer when you make that decision, when you are confronted with the Lord Jesus Christ and his testimony and what he has done, then you must personally answer to him of who he is whether this message that we bring to you today from the Bible is foolish or whether it's true. And Paul puts it very, very well to the Corinthian church. And he reminds us that we glory only in the Lord. We don't take the gospel message of Christ, which is foolish to the world, and add to it as I hear some do, Rod, and they have in the past, because we still have the same human nature, where we take the gospel message of Christ and add to it so that somehow we think by our additions to it will draw more men to Christ. That's always a mistake, isn't it, Rod? It is. We do not need to complicate the gospel message of Jesus Christ to draw the world. We do not do the work. A believer in Christ does not save another. It's not by our work. 
It's the work of Christ through us. It's his message. It's his reflection. There's nothing that Janice can do to make you a believer. I can tell you my testimony. I can help go through the Bible. We can learn together. But ultimately, you must make that decision. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you either receiving that or not. This is what Paul was coming up against when the church was was saying, oh, well, you know, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or even some of them were saying, well, I, I'm of Christ. It was causing division. The only thing that unifies us is the gospel message of Christ, Christ crucified. Christ, who is fully God, fully man, sent by the Father God to come and live on this earth. He lived a sinless, perfect life and gave himself on the cross, shed his blood, because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. God gave himself through his son. He died. He died. And three days later, he was raised from the dead in the flesh, And that brings us eternal life so that when we pass from this body, we are still alive in our spirits and we are with him forever. That's the message of the gospel. That's what seems foolish to the world, but it is the saving power and the wisdom of God in this simple message. Will you hear it today? Will you accept it today? It's your decision. And if you're sitting there and you feel that tugging in your heart, you pray and you ask the Lord Jesus for forgiveness. You tell him, you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and that you believe that he died and rose again. And when you do that, you will be saved. Your life will be changed and you can set your life to follow him. Thank you for joining us today. And I want to encourage you as you continue to give and to think about the Lord's work that we also distribute the Bible. We try to teach it every day. We're doing the best we can. And if you can help us, that would be wonderful. We're having to make decisions about stations, whether we're on the air or not. So Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that you would touch the people and help them, Lord, in this very difficult time to learn that you are the promise and you help us in Jesus' name.